You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. My name's Tanner Ripley, and I know I haven't got to meet a lot of you guys. I hope I do get to meet you before you leave. That's a, that's a rough start. Let me, uh, let me adjust this just so I don't get midway through the lesson. Is that the right one? Not the one that pulls off into your face? Like I said, my name's Tanner, and I help shepherd and lead Cross Life with another gentleman named Andy, who some of you guys probably met coming in as well. And uh, most of you know, because most of you are regular attenders, but I met uh, Stuart and Chris, and I don't recognize several other of you. This is very new for us. We've never done this in the sub, and we're excited about it. Uh, we'd been looking for an opportunity to come down here anywhere. There happens to be a wedding tonight at Grace, and so it pushes us down here, and I'm glad that you could join us in the sub. Praise God that we can worship, in, uh, or that we do worship in a country where we can do this openly, huh? I mean, there's glass right there, and people know what we're doing, and that's okay. I'm not afraid that someone is going to come and uh, interrupt us and threaten our lives. Now, someone may mock or interrupt that way, but I'm not afraid that our lives are in danger. That's a real fortunate thing to be able to worship publicly like this in the sub. Did everybody get a sheet? Okay, did everybody get notes on a sheet? If you didn't raise your hand, and we'll get you one. Okay, tonight is about how God communicates. God communicates. We've been going through a series called Imago Dei. Imago Dei means image of God. Comes out of a verse, uh, Genesis 1.27. Talks about how God made us in His image. Male and female, He created them. In His image, He created them. So we are created in the image of God. That makes us image bearers. Image bearers. And if, so the goal this year is to study who is God? What is He like? If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me or Andy pose the question uh, that Tozer does or the statement that Tozer does. It's this. It says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What does come to mind when you think about God? Tonight we're going to talk about how God communicates. He communicates to us. First, we're going to talk about how we communicate with each other. I think that we have a desire, probably even a need for communication, don't we? Uh, communication within one another, for all the way from smoke signals and more primitive things, all the way up to being able to send a message like that in the blink of an eye across the world and not even be amazed by it. We have been communicating. We're communicative creatures. That's what we are. Uh, whether it's for survival, whether it's for recreation, or whether it's just for anyhow, we communicate. We communicate. We were made to communicate. Made in His image and He's a communicative God. In fact, there's a whole field of study devoted just to how humans communicate. It's called anthroposemiotics. I practiced that and I still messed it up. (laughs) That's the field of study that studies about how humans communicate. Okay? Our advancement, much of it, if you think about it, much of our advancement in technology centers around helping us be able to communicate better. How much energy, how much time, how much finances go into just helping us learn how to communicate. Facebook and Twitter become global phenomenons. Uh, I've been to some of the most backwoods places in the entire world, I think. And I'll go out there and most a lot of them don't even have electricity. Or if they do, it's run on a bamboo pole on a single wire out to this place if they do have it. I go in the, the little makeshift huts and there's a cell phone sitting on the ledge. 
Okay, we are communicating creatures. And obviously, one of the ways we do that majorly today is through cell phone. Landlines are almost a thing of the past. Okay, we do that through cell phones. In fact, most of us do that through texting. 87% of the world has, uh, is subscribed to a mobile network of some, of some type. Okay, U.S. helps that. We have 105% of our population. So more than one phone per person. <laughs> So when you're trying to do that math, it doesn't work. <laughs> America, even, even compensating for the people who, I don't know what age people get cell phones anymore, middle school, even compensating for that, we have more than one cell phone per person, more than one cell phone prescriber per person in the U.S. Stati another statistic for you, 98% of text messages are read compared to 22% of emails, 29% of tweets, and 12% of Facebook posts. Since June 2000 to June 2012, there's been a 3,525,900% increase in the number of text messages that we've sent out. We're talking hundreds of millions of text messages in a month in the U.S. Hundreds of unbelievable amounts. Uh, excuse me, hundreds of billions. Hundreds of billions of text messages. We are a communicating people. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're made in God's image and God is a communicating God. Texting is actually being phased out. Less text messages are being sent all, all the time in forms of more and newer communication. We want to communicate, but somehow we're not sure how to communicate. I think of just this week, I was sitting in a, a seminar for alum and stakeholders in the Ag Department, the, the department on campus that I graduated from, and someone, kind of a big wig, stood up who hires a lot of people, and he said this. He said, most of the people I get, or I want to hire, can't communicate. He said, if you guys start teaching people to communicate in college, we can do something with that. But he said, 70% of the people that come to me, they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to interview. They don't know. They don't have any interpersonal skills. They don't know how to communicate. Well, we do that in college, right? Many of you probably taken Com 101. I took that. I was deathly afraid of public speaking at the time. What's the number one fear in America? What is it? Public speaking, second only to death. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, good thing you don't have to speak at your funeral. But, uh, <laughs> Anyway, lots of us want to communicate. We're just not sure how to communicate. Media, TV, advertising, there's an entire science behind that. My wife, Brooke, graduated in uh, international business and marketing. Marketing is a huge thing. The studies just behind how to market products to you are incredible. But not just verbal or nonverbal. We communicate through pictures. We communicate through body language, things I'm doing up here. And we communicate through... Make you uncomfortable? <laughs> that was only about seven or eight seconds of silence. We communicate through silence too, don't we? We communicate regardless of whether or not we want to communicate, we communicate. What do you think of your friend who hasn't communicated you, to you in two years? In some cultures, they wouldn't be your friend anymore. Okay. We communicate by silence too. You know what I've noticed though with our communication? It's just an observation, but it's this. It's that publicly people are private, and privately people are public. What do I mean by that? What I mean is a lot of you come to Cross Life on a weekly basis, and I say, hey, 
George. I use that because I don't think any of you are named George. But George, how are you doing? George says, man, I'm doing really good. Yeah, things are going excellent. Good at work. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. But things are going good. And uh, George gets home that night and he writes on Facebook on his status post, why doesn't anybody care? Life stinks. It's in the gutter. And he feels like he can communicate privately on a private level by himself publicly how things are going. So publicly in this setting, we're private, but privately we're public. We've turned things upside down by and large. In fact, many people today communicate totally with more people they've never met in person than people they do know in person. That's why folks are so much cooler online, right? But God knows, what's the difference here? God knows the secret things. I don't know how each of you are doing tonight. And I appreciate Andy's uh, recommendation for us not to let emotion dictate how we worship the Lord through music. Maybe some of you guys are real bummed out tonight, but you decide not to show that. Maybe some of you guys are ecstatic tonight, but you decide not to show that. I don't know those things, but God does. In fact, in Luke 8:17, speaking of the judgment day, Christ says this, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. God knows the secrets. He knows what's going on, even when I don't know. I've visited with people for years without finding out the deep things that are going on in their life. We as humans realize the deficiency in, of the mechanisms of communication, don't we? We realize we have shortfalls in communications. Let me illustrate this. How many of you get ticked off when your friend just sends you a text message back that just says, K? That's all it says. Why is he so mad at me right now? Why is she so mad at me right now? No wonder those things. Or when someone texts you in all caps, why is that person yelling at me right now? (laughs) Why is that? We have shortfalls in communications. Number of avenues, not just text messages, there's shortfalls in human communications. And it's not just technology's fault. Guys, it's not just, this isn't just a 21st or 20th century thing. We've always had shortfalls in communication due in part to our sinful condition. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I'll stop and ask, does that make sense? Because I know that I don't communicate to you as clearly as I'd like to. Sometimes something is stored up in my mind or my heart and I didn't get it down on paper, right? Or I, I want to communicate something to you that I can't. Like that word for the study of human communication. Okay, much of this desire, much of it's healthy because we're made in the image of God and God is a God who communicates. Here's a question, a more important question. Not how do we communicate with one another, but be on your sheet. How do we communicate with God? How do we communicate to God? I have a slash through the first thing on there because I was studying this. And how do people communicate with God? What do they think? How do they communicate with God? There's a, a site online called www.sendtogod.com. And you can text in and you text to this site and it pulls it up. So there's people from all over the world texting into this site, thinking they're texting to God. I know that sounds silly to many of you, but to many people it doesn't. Things on there like, uh, please make me find my phone. Please, I'll do anything if you say you help me. I don't know how they text in if they don't have their phone and borrow their friend. <laughs> yeah. Things like, please, no severe weather, no bad storms, no tornado. Pray my ceiling roof don't leak. Rent should have been free because my landlord didn't do anything. It's less of a request and more just a statement about his landlord. <laughs> Here's another one. Lord, is David really the one for me? Please let it be. <laughs> and one more. 
Please, and this is kind of funny, but it's kind of not. Please give me lots and lots of money by tomorrow evening. Thanks for everything. Thanks for parents' health. Thanks for the Kindles. I don't know whether he meant kindness or Kindles. Kindles showed up at his front door somehow and he thought they were from God. But we try to communicate with God through many avenues, don't we? I think of the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament. They were cutting themselves. They were slashing themselves and crying out, trying to communicate, not to the God of the Bible, but to their gods. We use substances, drugs, and alcohol. I find that sometimes, and probably many of you know this, the times that people are most vulnerable is when they're on substance. When they're drunk, they want to open up and talk about God, even when it's not socially acceptable when they're sober. Chants, songs, unknown languages. We try so many things to communicate with God, but what does He tell us to do in His Word? Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up and look at this one with me. It's in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is in the uh, second half of your Bible in the New Testament. It's kind of after the general epistles. If you've gone, gotten to James, you've gone too far. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, what should we do to communicate with God? How do we communicate with God? His Word says prayer. I draw near to His throne of grace so that I can find help in time of need. That was a good question. Let's ask the best question. How does God communicate with us? How has God chosen to communicate with us? Get this, in Genesis 1, just in Genesis 1, we find the word God said ten times. From the very beginning, God has been speaking. He's been communicating to His people. He spoke, as many of you know, this world into creation. When God speaks, big things happen. And He's been speaking since Genesis 1, the beginning of time. God speaks. Psalms 33.6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God clearly doesn't text us or instant message us. But in, get this, here's something that kind of... Uh, I had to think about as I read, unless God practiced self-disclosure to us, all we'd have to discover Him is speculation. Do you know that? God is a God who is initiated with us. He didn't have to disclose anything by Himself to us. We'd be left for, to hollow philosophy or the traditions of men if God didn't self-disclose to us, but He has disclosed to us. What is He disclosed? This. It's remarkable that He's disclosed this. What is this? Here's the picture Paul, oof, that Paul gives us in 2 Timothy 3.16. calls it this. I realize all of you can't see that, but many of you probably can, or you know what happens when I do that. I've used that illustration before. It's God's breath. God breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God, or it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible tells us that no prophecy of Scripture came just by man. This isn't man's Word, but it's God's breath written down for us. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is sharp, it's living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is really something. 
Do you realize that many of you have this sitting on your lap tonight? God has communicated to us. He's done it two ways, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is this, creation. If we could look out those windows, we'd see the bridgers up there. You don't have to go far to see God's handiwork in creation. God's created and He's, he's manifest uh, to us about Himself in general revelation. Romans 2 talks about our conscience. But He's also done this. This is what I want to talk about tonight. Special revelation. Special revelation. Most of you guys are already in Hebrews. Go to chapter 1 of Hebrews. I get fired up at this verse because I think this is just such a clear verse on how God talks to us. How do we know? How do we hear from God? I get lots of questions all the time. Uh, can you guys hear me in the back okay? Good, okay. How, I had a dream, Tanner. What? Uh, how much stake do I put in that dream? Well, God, I think God spoke to me this way or that way. What does the Bible say about how God speaks to us? Look at Hebrews 1.1 with me. Get this. God after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us how? In His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the world. Listen, God in his old, under His old covenant, He spoke in many ways, didn't He? <laughs> many ways, through dreams, through vision, uh, through audible voice. What does Hebrews say? In these last days He's chosen to, spo- to speak to us by His Son. I want you to look at one other verse with me. Go to John 1. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life that was in the light of men. And the life was the light of men. All the way over in verse, I believe it's 14. This Word, uh, God decides to tell us what this Word is. He says, This Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and He saw His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. How has God spoken to us? He's spoken to us through His Son. Through His Son. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He spoke to us through His Son. He continues to speak to us through His Word, God's breath, the Bible. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 says this, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. It goes on to say in Proverbs 30, verse 6, or chapter 6, or verse 6, excuse me, Do not add to His Word or you will be rebuked, and He will prove you to be a liar. (coughs) Don't add to God's Word. God's Word is perfect. It's not only inerrant, it's sufficient. It's sufficient. I came across something. Actually, I didn't come across that. Something in my memory jarred from a long, long time. I think it was when I was in high school. Someone sent me an email. And I think about it from time to time. Maybe some of you will know it. It says this, What if we treated our Bibles like our cell phones? What if we treated our Bibles like our cell phones? What if we carried them around in our purse or our pockets? What if we flipped through them several times a day? What if we, uh, what if we turned back to it if we forgot it. What if I'm driving away from my house and I rise out on my Bible with me? I better turn around and go get it. I had to do that this week with my cell phone. I had to turn around and get it. Do you do that? Do you need your Bible? Do you need the Word of God with you? What if we use it to receive messages from the text? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? What if we gave it to our kids as gifts? 
What if we used it when we traveled? What if we used it in case of emergency? What if it was our most prized possession? I have the opportunity to meet with many of you throughout the week, and almost, almost without exception, people will come and they'll, and they'll put this right beside them on the desk in front of them. It's my phone. Put it right there because it's always with you. You know where it's at. It's even got to be on the table with you. Okay? <laughs> Just in case you need Siri at the blink of an eye. Okay? I need Siri with me. No, I don't need you, Siri. What's it say? Okay. What if? What if we treated the Word of God like that? What if we prized it highly? What if it was our most prized possession? Another thing, God's communication isn't unclear like ours. That's the trouble, isn't it? God doesn't stutter. He doesn't mispronounce words. God doesn't contradict Himself in Scripture. I stutter. I mispronounce words as was demonstrated earlier. I mess up in my communication. My communication is valuable, but God's isn't infallible. Some parts of Scripture are very clear. They're very obvious what God means, while other parts aren't. Other parts are difficult. Even some of the writers acknowledge that, like Peter speaking about Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3.15. But frequently, frequently, the Bible affirms its clarity. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 19, verse 7. Get this, Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's why again and again when people misquote or misuse Scripture or accuse uh, Jesus of sin, Jesus would go back to the text and He'd say in places like Matthew 12, 3, Have you not read? Or in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, uh, You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus was always directing people back to the Scriptures, affirming their clarity. In Deuteronomy, it told the Israelites to teach the Scriptures to their children. If children can understand these things, it's not a matter of intellect. In fact, it's not a problem of intellect. Mostly, it's a problem of moral and spiritual problem. It's not mostly an intellectual problem. Mostly, it's a moral and spiritual problem. What do I mean? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But a, ma- a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness to him. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually blind. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is what? It's foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. Here's another important question. Not just how does God communicate to us, but what did He say? What has He said? What does He continue to say to us? What has God said? Listen, 66 books in this Bible, uh, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. They're written over approximately 1,500 years. Three different languages, Hebrew, Greek primarily, some Aramaic. They're written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, Europe by approximately 40 different authors. What has God said? What is He trying to speak? What is He trying to say to you? If God is a God that communicates, what has He communicated? Here's the question. What theme has God chosen to most clearly communicate through His Word? I have time to explain everything these communicate, obviously, but what is the theme, the silver thread, running through Scripture? Answer the story of redemption. 
the story of redemption. I don't know where you are tonight if you know the story of redemption. Maybe you're among those who are perishing and this book is just sheer foolishness to you. Maybe you just stepped in out of the sub because you saw something going on. This book is just pure foolishness. Or maybe this is life to you. Maybe you can't get enough of this. Regardless, the story of redemption is what you need to know and love and enjoy about it. One of my most frequent prayers is this, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Psalm 51, Lord, don't ever let this get old to me. Please, God, I know my propensity to become old and dull with this good news. What is the good news? In conclusion, let me cover it just real briefly with you. Some verses. And uh, I have some of these. I don't have one for all of you. I apologize that I got rid of too many. I'll make some more, but there's some on the table. Uh, if you want to grab one on the way out, it's just a sheet with some of the scripture that I'm going to talk about. I put some of it on your sheet, but I'm going to, I'm going to go through it. And if you want one of these on the way out, go ahead and grab one. What is the gospel? What is the theme of redemption? It starts with this. We must know God. Who is God? What comes to mind when we think about God? I think about verses like this. Exodus 15, 11, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory and working wonders? Or Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. What about us? What about you and me? What's the Bible say about us? Think of Ecclesiastes 7.20. It says, there's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. No, none righteous. None righteous. I think of uh, Jeremiah 17.9. says, the heartful is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can begin to understand it? Here's the story. Listen, here's the story of mankind. Wrecked, wretched, wicked from birth. It's not a pretty one, but it's a true one. To tell you anything else would be to gimmick you. There's a problem there, isn't there? If this God is holy and dwells in unapproachable light, and we dwell in sickness and in darkness from birth, it's we're under the curse. Galatians 3 talks about that curse. What's the problem? The problem is verses like Nahum 1.3. Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger, and He's great in power, but He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will not leave mankind unpunished. He will not leave you unpunished or me unpunished. He's too just. He is too good for that. I think of verses like Psalm uh, 7, 11, and 12. God is a righteous judge and a God who has what? Indignation or righteous anger every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. What does that mean? It means that God is ready to judge. And that any instant any of us could pass from death or from life into death. And God must punish our sin, brothers and sisters. He would not be a just judge if He didn't. He would not be a good, holy, and perfect God if He just looked over our wrongdoings. That's frightening news. That's terrible news. Here's the good news. And please don't let this ever get old to you. God, let this never get old to me. God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way, that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish. He won't perish, but He'll have eternal life. That's good news. That's the best news. That's the only good news. The Bible defines love like this. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. That He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice or as a propitiation for our sins. 
How did it happen? Only could happen one way. Andy read from this earlier, Hebrews 9.22. I believe you did. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Actually, you read 27. 27, but the same thing. Uh, It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Verse 22 says this, God's not going to forgive your sins without a shedding of blood. That's why Jesus said in verses like Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. That's good news, brothers and sisters. That's the best news. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin. Who's that? Who is that? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the gospel. That's the information of the gospel. Now, what's your response? Your response is this. God has communicated to you through His Word the Gospel. What is your response? Your response is this. Mark 1.15 Jesus comes on the scene. It's the first thing He says. He says this. The time is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. Brothers and sisters, if you haven't repented tonight, the only good news for you is that God has been patient with you. He has not cut you off yet. And you are here tonight to hear the good news. I beg you to repent and turn to Him. Turn to Him in faith. Believe on Him. Follow Him. If you don't know exactly what that looks like, let's talk afterwards. You don't need to know exactly what that looks like. Follow Him. Throw yourself on Him. Throw yourself in the general direction of Him. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. That's your response. That's your obligation. That's your opportunity. Repent and believe the good news. None of this raise your hand. None of this... Walk the aisle, pray the prayer. No, believe on Him. Believe on Him. If you're counting on anything else other than your trust in the Gospel of Christ, you're lost. You must count. You must count on Christ and on Him alone. On Him alone. James 1.22 says, Prove yourself doers of the Word, not merely hearers deceiving yourselves. Listen, don't hear these words tonight, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you're a Christ follower or you're a Christ hater. Don't leave these words tonight and leave here unchanged. Be a doer of the Word. Hear these words. Hear these words and believe. Believe on Christ. Believe on Christ. Lord, You are the risen God, the Holy Lamb, the priceless, spotless God, the Holy One, the Creator, the Sustainer of heaven and earth the perfect triune God existing in perfect harmony from the beginning of the earth. May you accept our praise. Would you be pleased with this sound? Would you accept our offering of praise and worship to you? Would you convert, would you call many, would you convert many to you, Lord? Many on this campus, many in this, in this city, many in this valley, many in this world. Lord, get glory for yourself through simple men and women like us. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.